Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you for being here today for Move Like This. I am excited today to be talking to one of my favorite people, Donnie Shimoto, who is the Managing Director of the Center for Accounting Transformation. So thank you for being here today, Donnie. Oh, no, thank you, Bonnie. I am so honored to be here with you. We wind up on a lot of similar calls and have touched base outside of those larger groups. And I just so enjoyed getting to know you. I'm excited for everybody that's listening today to get to know you too. Let's start off. um, Tell me a little bit about yourself and the Center for Accounting Transformation and how you are meeting your goal, a lofty one at that, of improving the world one accountant at a time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you pulled that in. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that is the that is my goal. And that's actually been my LinkedIn byline for a while now. So I'm a I'm a non-traditional CPA is the way I like to describe myself because I don't do uh, audit, tax, or bookkeeping. I have a, my own firm. And what we do is we do business transformation advisory work. And that often comes in two areas. The first is innovation. Most people know me as a technology guy. And uh, tech is one part of innovation, but there's also changes to business processes. And even more importantly, changes to business practices, which I know the MOVE project is about. It's about changes in the way that we pay, compensate, and, you know, everyone. So, Again, thank you again for having me on this very near and dear to my part. The other side that we balance innovation with is risk management. And so often technology is balanced with cybersecurity, which could lead to business continuity risk, could also lead, if you have a data breach, to privacy and reputational risk. Uh, But again, it also comes back to the broader sense of this. And so Recruiting and retention, for example, recruiting, retaining women within the workforce or other minorities within the workforce, uh, that's important. And again, kind of, I love, thank you again for having me on this because uh, I love the mission of the MOVE project. I, I love that we're we're both in this space and, and trying to improve the profession as a whole. Because we are both passionate about DEI&B, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, like I mentioned before, we've both been asked to participate in quite a few discussions on the topic. Tell me why creating more inclusive and diverse firms is important to you and part of the work you do. For me, uh, in, in particular as well, being one of the few Asian voices that you see at per se, quote, the top of the profession, uh, for me, it's particularly important to ensure that I serve as a role model for others that may be like me coming through the pipelines, coming up through the ranks. So that, that's been important for me. And then actually even more recently, I found that you know, Asian and Latino, or especially I should say actually Asian women and Latinas don't have as much of a voice. Both grow up in cultures where we're told you know, don't rock the road, don't don't stand out, just kind of take what you are being handed and be grateful. Uh, so even with that, especially for me, being able to be a voice and help step out of even my own comfort zone 
of, you know, because again, Asia, it's not just Asian women, it's as Asian as a whole, it's very much um, be quiet, do a good work and you'll get recognized. And often what I'm finding now, um, as is kind of a lot of the issues that I, I see people telling women the same thing, it's like, no, you have to speak out and you need to, right, own it and don't feel the imposter syndrome and all those other issues. Like as Asians as a whole, we have that issue. I recently learned that the Latina culture has that um, issue as well. And so all of this, again, kind of very near and dear to my heart. And I hope to be a little bit of a role model as well as help to elevate both populations within our profession. I love it. We've talked a good deal about research in the past. So I would love for you to share about the research you're doing in this area. Sure. So we actually just finished our data collection on our diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI journey survey. And so, you know, part of the genesis for this was looking at where are we in this? Because you hear a lot of talk about, well, we've already done a lot of things and we've already done what we can. What else can we do? And then on one hand, on the other hand, you hear leading people say, well, we have a lot more work to do. We're still not seeing everyone represented in all of the ranks. And so kind of hearing these two kind of contrasting sides, I wanted to see data about where are we in our DEIB journey. And so that was kind of the impetus. And that's what we're hoping to, to understand better from the preliminary results that we had at the end of last year. We saw where a lot of larger organizations were farther along in adopting some of the DEI practices, but small and mid-sized organizations still had a bit more way to go. And in fact, especially in the very small organizations, there was quite a bit of people there that were kind of like, this doesn't apply to us, we're too small. And part of what we wanna do through that is to say, no, you are never too small to address this stuff. Yes, you might be too small to be able to statistically show that your company is, is very diverse, but you know, we even looked at our own numbers, uh, my firm, at the time we started this was probably more around eight or nine people. We're now up at 16 people. We looked at it and we went, hey, we actually have un completely unintentionally a nice diverse mix of people in this. So uh, we look at that and we say, well, but you know, does that mean that a firm that is all black cannot, or or is that is that a bad thing for them to to not do that because because they're, they're a small firm, there may be three or four people. Should three or four person uh, firm have like a mix? You know, right? Should, mm -hmm. should each person be a different ethnicity? It's like you know that's not really reasonable. But there's other things that we do as part of this whole DEI movement. For example, creating. Uh, spaces for psychological safety and other things, you know, that really needs to be done at any firm of any size of any type of uh, ethnic mix. So I think there's a broader mission in what we're trying to do here. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And we are talking during uh, June, which is Pride Month. And that's another area where I think a lot of firms just haven't really thought about that as in terms of diversity. And, you know, as we mentioned, diversity is certainly, you know, ethnicity and race is important, but there's so many other factors that go into that to make it that wonderful mix of people that gives you such a competitive advantage. 
that and a lot of the smaller firms can absolutely do that and they may be more diverse than they think they are based on maybe the background or the history or ways people think or that sort of thing so i love that we're if nothing else i love that we're having the conversation around exactly Exactly. And and you're so right. And that was one of the things that I learned because I do not consider myself a, a DEI expert. I consider myself an ally. So I actually uh, engaged with some researchers that are the experts in this. And through that, when we were designing our DEI survey, they actually gave us this whole list. <laughs> There's just this whole, I think it was like 20 something different ways to define diversity and it included, for example, veteran status. Um, it had to, the LGBT stuff that you just mentioned. It looked at political affiliation as diversity. It looked at religious affiliation as diversity, uh, neural diversity in the way that we think. And, you know, as I say that, I say that in the way that we think, it's the way that our mind works, maybe is a better way to look at that one. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a lot of the diversity studies and where they talk about, you know, diversity helps increase innovation, helps helps things be more successful, it's actually diversity of thought that you're looking for. And so even within a single organization that is not ethnically diverse, as long as you've got, as and you gave some great examples of different types of thinking or different ways people might approach something, that's really what you're trying to achieve. No, I agree. So when you're talking to these accounting professionals, what area of your work do you see them embracing the most? And the flip side of that too is where do you come across reluctance to commit or areas where people are just uncomfortable to move forward? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. I, you know, off of kind of a gut response. I think a lot of people feel like it's easy to move into the racial area, to move into the gender area. The gender area is getting a little difficult to navigate with with the whole trans and all the others, right? The gender assignment and all this kind of stuff that's going on. But I think people find both of those areas fairly easy to go into because it's visible. So I can see generally (laughs) male versus female and the different ethnic backgrounds just by looking at the color of the skin, right? And the the other physical characteristics. And so I think that people do by default, maybe even because we visually see these things. And I think that's also why sometimes some of these things cause the contention because we make certain assumptions based upon what we see and perceive and the stereotypes associated therein. But we also have to look at the other things. For example, the LGBT is a good example there where it's like, you can't tell that just by necessarily looking at someone, mm-hmm. right? And the, the religion and the um, political leaning as well, you can't tell that. Neurodiversity too, you can't tell that just by looking at someone. So these are more difficult and I think people tend to shy away from them because of that. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about the neurodiversity I did, I immediately go right or wrong to kind of that left brain, right brain sort of approach. Mm-hmm. And having been a marketer that worked within accounting firms, often the marketers or those that aren't necessarily the billable hour people, they 
tend to be like this right brain in a sea of left brains. So (laughs) it's challenging a lot of times because if a room full of people all kind of approach problems in the same way, you're going to come up with the same ways to solve them. Where often if you can get somebody that maybe approaches things not in a lateral way, you know, and, and it may seem like the wrong way to some people, but by having those conversations and giving everybody a seat at the table during those discussions, you may come up with a solution to a problem that is different than what you think, but is way better. And I think that collaborative approach is so important to really all discussions that are going on. I, I so agree with you, completely agree with you. Uh, that's, you know, one of the things people say about me that I'm very innovative. And part of that, I think, is because my bachelor's degree is a double in accounting and IT. And then I also have done graduate work in the psychology area to align to HR in in organizational development. And so it's this blend of those types of backgrounds, plus the fact that I was an auditor when I first started my career. So I got to see all these different companies and how they all approached kind of the same problem or the same issues. And that's what I do now in consulting, because I often get asked, well, what, you know, what industry do you work with? And we always tell them like we work across industries because part of our job is to look at different industries and say, well, manufacturing is approaching it this way. Professional services is approaching it that way. Retail is approaching it this way. You know, what do we need to do or what are the parallels? And is there something we can learn from a different industry? Tweak it perhaps a little bit and apply it to this other industry. And you're not going to get that if you don't have everyone having a seat at the table and marketing, I, I fully believe is in deserves that seat at the table as well. I like to hear you say that because <laughs> I <think laughs> you for probably some self-serving reasons, but also for supporting my other colleagues out there. Look, even at what we are doing, you know, this uh, comes back to me a little bit to journalism as well, right? There's a lot of copywriting and, you know, that type of work that's part of the marketing function within our businesses. And it was really interesting when you look at the history of journalism and the role that journalism plays in society, because we're seeing this decline in the newspapers, right? And now we're having mass media and then these types of things. But on the other hand, there's all of us like you, like me, that are doing these podcasts that are creating additional types of media additional channels out there. One of the things that I had heard from some journalists that I was talking with was they said some of the really hardcore sciences and engineering, they're not getting students. And the reason for that is that their trade journals went away because there just wasn't enough attention to that. Contrasting, you see other professions like ours in accounting where We've got very strong trader industry journals, and they're out there telling the story of what we do as a profession, the impact that we have. And then there's all of us now that have become content creators that help help tell the story more, help talk about the issues, right? That is what creates a vibrant profession. And all of that ties back into marketing. It's the image and the brand of the profession. Mm-hmm. And so for us to really move forward, I, again, I fully believe marketing has a very important role for us. Yeah, that's interesting. As I was a journalism major in college. Oh, I um, didn't know that. Yeah, I still do. Uh, I still spend a lot of my day writing. And that's an interesting point about the, I mean, obviously the shift in mass media is just obvious in our day-to-day work and 
just what we look at and how it's very customized to what it is that our opinions and mm-hmm. our political beliefs or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, trade journals are a lot harder to find and they they do. They play a very important role in sharing the news and exposing people that may not be a part of it to what a profession is. Accounting, like a lot of others, is much more than getting your taxes done, which for those that aren't familiar with the profession, probably think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. How can people support the work that you do and how can firms collaborate with you? Ooh, that's a... That's a difficult one. I say that because we're doing so many things. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to talk about all of those things. The easiest one, as I always say, just just come connect with me. Um, Donnie Shimamoto on LinkedIn. That's the best one. But I'm Donnie ITK on all the socials. But LinkedIn is the one that I'm most um, active on. And I'm directly active on a lot of the other ones. My, my marketing team. <laughs> I love them. Take care of all of that other stuff for me because most of it's pushing information out. But come check us out at the at our website, which is www.improvetheworld.net. And some people may go, wait, wait, you didn't say Center for Accounting Transfer. Yes, it's improvetheworld.net because we believe that we are a network of people, not just accountants, network of people, including like you, a marketer (laughs) originally by trade or journalist originally by training as well, that are all trying to help improve the world and come take a look at what we're doing, take a look at the courses we have, take a look at the research we're doing, participate in the research that we're doing. Uh, We cannot do this alone. We need everyone's input. And the more people we have that respond to our research surveys, the more informed we are in terms of what's happening out there. Yeah, I have to agree completely. And I know people are somewhat surveyed to death, but it is an important thing to share your thoughts and to be heard and to be part of these discussions. So I encourage firms to participate in these, the research that you're doing for sure. Now I want to end with a couple of just fun questions. Sure. When you were five years old, Donnie, what did you want to be oh, when you grew up? Oh my gosh. So when I was five years old, we had just moved into a new house. I had a baby brother along the way. So I think at that time, I probably wanted to be a good big brother when I grew <laughs> up. <laughs> I can't even think of what I wanted to be back then. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's that's a hard good. one. <laughs> All right. Well, I have two more for you. So if you were given the chance to travel anywhere, you wanted to go for free, time off was not an issue. Where would you go and why? Oh my gosh, that's another hard one. So because I travel probably well pre-pandemic and it's actually starting to occur again this year. um, I travel about 50% of the time. And so for me, I would really want to go back to Japan. Tokyo, that area for me, I like the mix of urban and I'm not a big city city type of guy, but I do like some of the conveniences there. But Tokyo has that nice mix of a lot of city if you want it, but it's very easy to see the culture like the temples and even just the Japanese culture as a whole. There's a ton of good food. Everyone knows I'm the foodie. Um, Lots of really good, great food kind of there. And then the other thing that I really love out there is the hot springs. 
because that's kind of relaxation for me is go and soak in a nice tub. And in that one instead, it is go and soak in a natural spring. Um, since I saw your face move, yeah. you know, the, my one of my biggest memories is going out. And actually, this is not in Tokyo City itself. This is outside of Tokyo. But a friend of and and I went to one of these. Um, they're called ryokans. They're the old style Japanese inns. And this was up in the mountains during winter. And the way that the rooms are is the room actually opens out into uh, our particular one opened out onto the side of a river and they piped in the hot springs water. And so we were, and, and it's open, this area is open. So you're sitting there in the hot springs water and you're looking out at, and listening to the river rushing by and there's snow covering everything. So like their top half is kind of half freezing, but you can feel the heat from the water coming up. It was just so relaxing. And then they serve these fabulous like absolutely fabulous meals where everything is immaculate it's like a little pieces of all this kind of stuff like think about sushi but not just sushi like all kind of stuff on steroids beautifully presented and you just sit and you eat and it's it is just totally takes away from everything all right now that is on my list of places <laughs> that sounds incredible and i i have a real connection with water too yeah i love the idea of just sitting in a hot spring but yet looking at snow too that just seems like a really cool dichotomy so finally if you can have one superpower what would it be i've always wanted to be able to read people's minds and i say that because and actually this might go back to kind of a little bit of your first question um i've always been interested in the way people think mm-hmm and so, you know, sometimes I see people do things or I'm listening to them talk about something. And I have always kind of wondered, like, how did they come to that conclusion? You know, I, I want to understand, like, what happened to you that made you react that way or do something? Or what is your thinking that's going on behind that statement? Because let, let, let's unpack that and let's really kind of figure out, like, you know, what's going on. And that's, that's what I think a lot of us need to do a lot more of is understand where are people coming from? How have their experiences shaped them? And through that, rather than just reacting to what someone says and immediately, for example, taking offense, I see that a lot, especially today, right? You see someone says something and everyone just kind of jumps on them and you're like, wait, stop, let's not make all these assumptions. Let's understand why they said that and where that's coming from. And maybe it's a chance to help educate. Or on the other hand, maybe it's also a, a chance to empathize and understand what's going on and, and to help them understand, hey, there's a different point of view to that. And maybe neither is right or wrong, but it's to, be, it's to have that understanding of what's, what's going on with people. Yeah, that actually makes me think of a line from Ted Lasso, uh, which has stuck with me. It is be curious, not judgmental. Oh, I like that. Oh, I, you know what? I haven't watched that series in a while and I haven't, I need to see the last season. So I haven't seen that. I heard it's, it's done a good job, but that's that one. And now I'm trying to, now you got me trying to remember because there was this one scene. I think it's after he had the conflict with the the little guy, um, that was doing something and splitting from, I think it was before he split from them. But uh, I remember that I just saw the scene and I was like, 
I need a copy of that scene for when I speak because it's just so like so many good nuggets from that season. <laughs> no, actually, we watched it, you know, as the new season came out. But uh, my husband's already said, you know, we're going to have to sit down and watch this all through again. Oh. So. <laughs> it's a great show. And I that that be curious, not judgmental thing, I think is something I needed to hear at the time whenever <laughs> I, I saw it. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us. Yes. So I have so enjoyed our conversation and am looking forward to seeing you in person soon. And thank you for being here and uh, sharing your thoughts on Move Like This. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Russick, and until next time, keep moving forward.